Hey everyone, so for Lunch Hour with Renault today, we had a bit of technical difficulty, so the sound is a little bit messed up for the first 25 minutes. You can still understand everything we're saying, it just doesn't sound great, um, but if you can push through it, there's some great content, so hopefully you can stick with us. Well, good afternoon everyone. Welcome to Lunch Hour with Renault. Uh, today we have Deb Moline and Tracy Griffiths who are joining us. Both of these amazing ladies are staff members with us. This week uh, we're continuing our series on the reality of the flesh and we're going to be talking about addictions. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Deb oversees our counseling ministry here at Mosaic and so she has a little bit of experience mm -hmm. in, uh, in this conversation and so she'll lend uh, to that. And Tracy works with our children's ministry, so she has uh, uh, quite a, an array of experience as well and has some uh, pretty cool personal stuff uh, to bring to the table um, regarding media specifically, which will be a lot of fun. And I have uh, a student ministry in my home, <laughs> and so I deal with student ministries yes. constantly. Yes. And For those of you who may not know, uh, Renault has eight children and what, six of them are teenagers right now? Technically six of them are teenagers, but my 21-year-old who's awesome is just heading off to college, so functionally still lives in that kind of, you know, functional world. Gotcha, so, gotcha. Yeah, so it's a ton, ton of fun. A ton of fun. So uh, we're going to jump in today. Last week, if you were with us, uh, Andy Blanchard was with us. We talked a lot about mental health. We had planned to uh, have a conversation about addictions uh, along with that, but that uh, conversation was so so good it just took the whole hour and so we're going to we're going to talk about uh, this today and uh, you know as we think about this whole thing with addictions it is kind of a bit of a heavy subject and so Renaud would you share just a little bit like why are we bringing this conversation to the table for our church? Yeah I, you know in a, in a very similar way to the reason that we brought the conversation last week to the church with mental health is that there are some complexities to this uh, issue of addiction that I think so often in the church we perhaps simplify too much uh, or we spiritualize too much, not insofar as that it's not a spiritual issue, it very much is, but that we use spirituality as a kind of catch-all to just kind right. of have enough faith, believe enough, or just stop behaving this way. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, then you're not choosing rightly. And addictions, like mental health, once they have become an addiction, there is a deeper reality to the way that they impact us and affect us that if we are not aware of and we don't know how to engage in holistically, that we can often create greater shame and, and yeah. greater um, dysfunction by pushing onto people this idea of, you just need to stop it. Mm -hmm. and, and so the, the trouble is there's certain things within the addiction world that we kind of check the box on, yeah, we know why that's hard. If you're addicted to certain substances, like maybe heroin, we're like, okay, there's, there's greater work to be done. But a lot of times when our addictions are more in the sort of behavioral spaces, those we tend in the church to kind of just slot off as, just stop behaving that way. Right. Mm -hmm. And what we want to do today is be able to really engage in the world of addiction um, in a way that helps us recognize that they are uh, neurobiological implications once we've done something habitually, that they are chemical implications once we've done something habitually, that sometimes we're addicted not just to chemicals outside our body like alcohol or drugs, but sometimes we've produced behaviors that produce chemicals within our body that our brains then react to. So even though we want to stop, we just find it very difficult next to impossible to do that. And then how do we engage in processes in biblical community 
that will rightly allow us to be set free from these addictions. Right. Because ultimately, the reason we're dealing with this today is because addictions can be very debilitating mm -hmm. in our intimacy with Jesus, our life on mission, our ability to live out a Christ-like, gospel-honoring life. And I think for many people within the church, they want to do those things, but they find themselves defeated by addiction, and then they go into shame and isolation, which we talked about mm -hmm. last week, and then they live not free but bound, right. but they can't tell us mm -hmm. because they're trying to be a person they need to be. And we just want to kind of open the can on all that and yeah. go, no, engage, get out of isolation, get into community, let's heal this up, let's deal with the wounds, let's deal with the addictions, let's jump in, right. and then let's be free as a community. So mm -hmm. that's kind of why we're here. It's great. It's great. Well, we have a few awesome people joining us with us on Facebook Live today. Hello. We are glad that you are here with us. We've got Nasley, Michelle, What's Natalie, uh, Meg Terry in the house. Hello. Uh, we've got Lulu. Hi, Lulu. Hope you're doing well. Uh, Yara, Heather, uh, Tammy, Annette, just a bunch of great people with us. And I'm then, of hearing course, some teachers in that list, which tells me school's over, baby. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> some happy folk right now. Um, so this is great. So, so we've talked about kind of the, um, you know, the, the realities around addiction, but let's maybe define addiction a little bit more specifically, um, because I think when we think about addiction, um, what are we talking about? Are we talking about just someone who's a drug addict? Are we talking about, are there uh, broader implications to addiction? Mm -hmm. Is, you know, my morning cup of coffee, is that an addiction? Like what? Let's define addiction for the purposes of this conversation. Maybe, Deb, um, that would be a great place for you to jump in because I know that you you have to have a framework for that as you step in right. with people. Right. Well, so, I mean, in a, in a general sense, um, an addiction is any behavior or thinking pattern mm. that is repetitious habitual and you continue to do it even though the consequences are bad and it can affect relationships or your own health or you know your own life goals right drinking yeah. and driving and getting a DUI and going to jail those kind of things right um, so that would that would define addiction a lot of times um, you know there's a lot of things that people don't consider addictions that we do um, you know I tend to pull out my phone and look at Facebook, if I'm standing in a line, if I'm uh, sitting at a red light, I don't do it when the light turns green, but I mm -hmm. know it's probably still not right. Mm. But like just the... the There's um, a limit to your addiction. There, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that's how we look at it, yeah. right? I'm not addicted because, oh, I put it away when the light turns green. Yep. Or, you know, you know, am I addicted to coffee? You know, you know, do I have to have my cup of coffee every day? Obviously, some addictions have graver consequences than other addictions, sure. right? My coffee addiction isn't going to harm anybody else outside myself, and it, I would have to drink a lot, a lot of coffee to really cause that much harm, whereas there are other addictions that are going to have a lot more implications um, to your family, to your own health, things like that. Right, like a little heroin might really do a lot of damage <laughs> yeah. versus yeah. a lot of coffee. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah you know, I, th I think... Um, uh, we were talking just before we even jumped on here, and Tracy was just sharing it, even in her home, about how she defines for mm -hmm. her kids uh, that world of addiction. And, and I, I'd love to hear that again from you. But I, I, I think similarly, this idea that when a habit has negative implications mm -hmm. to your life or the lives of the people around you, but you continue in that habit despite those negative implications, mm -hmm that's kind of the world where a habit turns into an addiction. Mm -hmm. Habits are habits, and they're not necessarily bad or good, 
but when they are negative and we keep doing them, we don't stop or can't stop, mm -hmm. then we are in the world of what the, it would be defined as addiction. You said it really well a little earlier about how you define it in your home. Right. So we say that addiction is when we, if we continue to do something despite it having negative consequences on our lives. Does it negatively affect our jobs, our relationships, how we feel emotionally about ourselves, and yet we continue to do that? then that's an addiction. Then that would be an addiction. Mm -hmm. And we also talk about that, um, particularly with our kids, about things like cigarettes and alcohol and drugs. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't know if they're going to be addicted to it until it's too late. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there yeah. are things we, we're not mm -hmm. willing to dabble in that. Pornography is another great example. Let's not dabble in that because we don't know. Maybe we're the person who's going to be super susceptible to that addiction. And once we're addicted, getting out of that is so mm -hmm. hard. Yeah. Right. And this, you know, this really ties in, and Deb, you can speak into this uh, probably out of that definition, but this ties into that idea that there are addictions that are external chemical addictions. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you put nicotine in your system, mm -hmm. alcohol in your system, um, you put things into your system like certain drugs. Uh, those are external chemicals that have an internal impact that then drive the need for those chemicals mm -hmm. that then create the habit. Mm -hmm. But then there's the other side of it that we do something habitually that creates a neurobiological impact, a habit, right. a neuropathway. Mm -hmm. That neuropathway eventually becomes chemically related. Dopamine, for example. Mm -hmm. Every time I pick my phone up and someone likes a picture I posted, I get a dopamine hit, or someone mm -hmm. sends me a text, I get a dopamine hit. So my brain for those of us who don't know what dopamine is, talk about that for just mm -hmm. a second. Dopamine what is Dopamine is a chemical your body produces that gives you an immediate sense of uplifting. So it's an uh, internal happiness. chemical it's an internal addiction, chemical not an external That's addiction. actually generally produced to keep us through our day feeling excited about so different things. So give me some examples of, of how the body might create dopamine. What are some th natural things that we do that well, would Well, oddly that? enough, anything that we experience that causes us to feel like something good just happened, mm -hmm. our brain then produces a hit of dopamine just, just to en enhance that And that feeling. can be a good thing, right? Very like, good thing. In so fact, exercise, in, in fact, for example, I would tell you this, is dopamine. that a lot of times when someone struggles to feel a sense of well-being, one of the things they test for is serotonin and dopamine mm -hmm. because if your adrenal glands are in adrenal fatigue, because maybe you've been producing too much testosterone or other chemicals or, or, or um, uh, not testosterone, um, uh, adrenaline, because you're in fight or flight mode all the time, right. you hit fatigue, your adrenaline um, glands then don't produce as much dopamine or serotonin. You can want to feel happy, but you can't mm -hmm. because literally the chemicals right. that needed... So then your brain, you, you get into those spaces that we might call depression or other spaces that might be chemical related, sometimes they are. So what mm -hmm. I'm getting at is this that sometimes our habitual behaviors produce a space where the brain gets used to, oh, anytime I want to feel happy or I want to feel good, I know where to get the fastest dopamine hit. Right. That's the same thing that a heroin or an alcohol does mm -hmm. for you too. I want to feel good because I'm yeah. bored right now or I'm sad right now. So where do I feel good? Exercise. Well, then I'm going to go exercise. Mm -hmm. But if it's not exercise, if it's Facebook or mm -hmm. Instagram, then I'm going to go to Facebook, Instagram. And eventually... It becomes a chemical addiction internally, not externally. Because the external um, action of going to Facebook or Pro of looking at pornography. Produces or a, a neurobiological pathway that then produces a chemical that then the brain, the brain's always looking for shortcuts. It's an incredibly efficient 
uh, uh, muscle. And, you, know, you know, God created our brains for efficiency, to just efficiently work the body and efficiently get what it needs. And so, unfortunately, addictions are sometimes the consequence of our brain trying to find efficient ways to feel good. Yeah. And so these external and internal um, things happen and cause addiction. But Deb, I mean, in your world, you find a lot of times people roll in mm-hmm. and in the world of external addictions, and I were talking about alcoholism, drug addictions, or other external addictions, mm-hmm. you've encountered pornography, mm-hmm. things that become, and pornography may actually be more of a eventually internal, but I mean, it's something mm-hmm. we go to. Talk to us a little bit about just that world. and. So um, I, have, I have a lot of knowledge about the chemical addiction world. Um, my oldest son is a recovering alcoholic. And, um, you know, I think you know, with him, it's the, the, he's actually doing really great right now, and he's two years sober, and um, praise God for that. Yeah. Uh, I think for him, the key part was ongoing accountability, right? Mm-hmm. So I think any time you're trying to break any kind of addiction, um, well, and we're de- when we're dealing with a chemical addiction especially, of course, there's that initial period of detoxing, right? Yep. And you have, to, you have to go through the process of getting all of the stuff out of your body. Um, and then your, your, your body might be free of those chemicals. Then it turns into a mental, mm-hmm. a mental thing, right? Where you have to really start thinking about your thinking and controlling your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, it, goes, it can go back to circumstances. You, something could trigger. You could be going along just fine, and then you know, something happens, the death of a loved one. Uh, you lose a job or something happens financial. And then your brain, like, like you said earlier, Renault, you kind of, okay, what was the thing that made me feel good before? That's yep. a self-medication. You know, um, right, exactly. And, you know, different, of course, it, 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 it makes everything... Um, no. Less, you can't feel. Yeah. You don't feel. Mm-hmm. So with with my son Caleb, he and by the way, he's given me permission to share his story um, before. So I'm not sharing anything I shouldn't share. But um, you know, he had a lot of, of unfortunate things that happened to him in his life. He struggles with same-sex attraction, grew up in a Christian home, and just had so many thoughts against himself, and never felt free to share that struggle with anybody. And so uh, when he started drinking. Uh, alcoholism also does run in our family, and I and I do believe that there are some predispositions there. Mm-hmm. That once Caleb took a drink in his body, it was like drink and drink, just like there's no stopping. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, I'll have a I can have a beer and have one beer, and I don't feel the need to drink until I'm completely drunk. But with Caleb, he shared from the very beginning. Um, once he had a drink, it was just like just drink to get drunk, drink to get drunk, and then. He was a sad drunk. You know, there's kind of like sad drunks and happy drunks and there's fun drunks and then there's uh, mean drunks, right? Yeah. Caleb was just a very sad drunk. He was not fun. His friends were like, please don't drink because you're not fun to be around when you do that. Um, but for him, it was just, it deadened everything. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to think about all the ways that I'm inadequate and not perfect as a person. Um, and that was why he fell into that addiction. So I think... Uh, he, you know, he went to a year-long uh, rehab. He did Teen Challenge. He did relapse after that. We had a number of ups and downs over a six- or seven-year period. Um, and uh, we finally got him to a place where he was sober again for quite some time. And then he, he fell off. And it was a very short falling off the wagon 
we caught it really early, and he wanted to go back into uh, rehab. And I, I just said, no, what you need is AA. you gotta, you got to find something that is ongoing. continuous and yeah. ongoing accountability. Yeah. And for him, that was what did it. He got an awesome sponsor um, who really worked those 12 steps with him. And he continues to go to AA every single week. Uh, to the community, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I heard somebody, I was listening to um, a video yesterday, and she referred to it as, um, and this and other kind of groups uh, similar, whether it's at church and you're in a, you know, a, a group for sexual addiction or whatever, as a therapeutic community. Yeah. And the community yeah. is formed for the purpose of, of being therapeutic for whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever and your you know, addiction this, might be. Th this is exactly why we're doing this, but also exactly how the uh, it com complication of addiction plays into this. And you said it so beautifully. Caleb starts with a chemical addiction mm -hmm. and a propensity toward that mm -hmm. and a space in his life that was already uh, needing some form of escape. So you, you, mm -hmm. you collide those spaces. He takes mm -hmm. his first drink. His body kicks in from generational reality the, and the propensity. That becomes an escape. And mm -hmm. over time then, habitually getting drunk, mm -hmm. his brain develops a sense of a quick, easy place mm -hmm. to go whenever life gets mm -hmm. too hard, right? So you've got all that going on. Now he's free from the chemical addiction insofar as he goes through rehab a whole year, mm -hmm. all of that. And we think in the addiction world so often, uh, yeah. I've got it all out, <laughs> yeah, but you said it so beautifully. Mm -hmm. There has now been something established in our neurobiology mm -hmm. that somewhere deep within our brain, our brain knows when it, when it really gets yeah. hard, when it really yeah. gets bad, this is where I'm going to go to. Mm -hmm. And without a community that is ongoing and without a space of therapeutic support that is mm -hmm. ongoing when addictions have taken that level within us, we are susceptible to that moment of our brains going, we're going back. And the trouble is, because that chemical addiction was a part of our story, when the brain takes us back there, that relapse, it's big and hard yep. and fast. Yep. And then it's defeating, mm -hmm. and then oh, there we are, shame, and it cycles. Mm -hmm. And so if we have a safe community that's mm -hmm. a therapeutic community that understands addictions properly, mm -hmm. which is what we want to be here at Mosaic, that we understand addictions both in terms of their initial healing and their journey of relapse, like with Caleb, I think what's helped Caleb be free for two years now is that in the relapses there was understanding. It wasn't like, what? You blew it? This is stupid. It was like, no, we get it. Let's get back on that horse. Let's. And if you struggle with addiction or you have a loved one that does, you know like Deb does, this is something that you've got to kind of journey with sometimes half a decade, sometimes a decade, sometimes longer. Right. But we want to be a community that journeys into these things holistically mm -hmm. and understands that it is, without a doubt, a journey of intimacy with Jesus that is, a, that, that is not only a part of this, but the most sustainable and primary part. But it is not exclusively yeah. a journey with Jesus. It is an understanding of the holistic nature mm -hmm. of our bodies and how right. we designed us. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Well, um, I mean, there's obviously so much that we can talk mm -hmm. through here. And if I go to Mosaic and I am... I am struggling with addiction, mm -hmm. and maybe I have addiction to alcohol, and I need, I need mm -hmm. to go to somebody, but I don't know who to go to yeah. or how to do that, or, or uh, maybe I am addicted to s sexual things like pornography, or mm -hmm. um, maybe I'm cheating on my spouse, or I'm single and I'm 
uh, you know, uh, struggling with sexual sexual addiction. What mm -hmm. you know, what do I do? Where do I go? Um, and what does that look like here yeah. at Mosaic? I think it's a great jumping off point is just contacting me and uh, scheduling an appointment. Um, and then I kind of uh, will can direct people from there. But um, as it stands right now, we currently have um, a recovery group for um, sexual addiction um, for men. We don't have one for women at this time. Um, but so that is something, you and know, we're working that toward you can that. jump I mean, right. We are, and we're really, you know, we're, we are working towards offering more recovery-type yep. programs for addiction, um, I, looking at even something for substance, um, substance abuse addiction um, and things like that. Normally, you know, uh, if you contact me right now about chemical abuse, I'm going to refer you to AA or NA. We don't have anything like that currently here. But I think the most important thing is when when anything, any of our sin, um, and really when we look at addiction too, like if we're looking at it from a biblical perspective, you know, we can also refer to it as a dependency or an idol or anything yep. that we put in place of God, yep. mm -hmm. right? Because yep. when God created us, when he created Adam and Eve before the fall, um, all of their needs were met. Like we didn't even really have needs. We didn't know that we didn't, but they, all of their needs were met. And when they sinned in the garden, what that did was now we have needs that we didn't have before. We have needs to belong. We have this need for significance. We have these things. And, and most of the time, we try to fill those needs our own way. With, without, without God. God. Right. And when really yeah. God is like, hey, I'm the one who's going to fulfill all these needs for you. So right. we look to these other things. And you know what? It's not just, you know, we look at the obvious things, you know, porn addiction, you know, um, and all the chemical addictions. But what about if you're addicted to work? Hmm. Yeah. There are people right. that are Absolutely. addicted to work and literally cannot go on a vacation without checking their email every day. And yeah. we celebrate that. Yeah. Yeah, because we're a production-oriented culture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who we don't see that as an, right. oh, that wow, person is so dedicated. Yeah. Um, this happens to pastors a lot, right? Caregiving addiction. Because then when you're caring for everybody and you're, ignoring your own family, sure. you know, and you're doing all this you care work, but then people yeah. are always like, oh, you're so giving, you're so this, you're always there at the yeah. drop of a hat, and, but what, at what expense, right. and what is it costing you? So there's, there's all these, you know, these addictions that, once again, they make us feel good, yeah. don't they? Like, um, but that can be an addiction. And it, br so. it brings us back to that definition that both of you brought to the table, which is this, when I habitually do something that I realize now has negative yeah. impact on either my well-being or the well-being of those I love, mm -hmm. but I keep doing it. That's yeah. an addiction. So when my marriage, if I'm married, or my family, or my own personal spiritual journey with God as, as a pastor, for example, is constantly being burned out and I start feeling all those things, but I keep going right. back to work and keep right. rescuing people, mm -hmm. th then that De definition fits exactly Absolutely. into that or work right. I work 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 because I get the awards but my marriage is falling apart my family's falling apart right. or my life my own well-being is falling apart that's an addiction right. and so in these spaces I think part of what makes it so difficult is one we don't kind of start our relationship with God as we come out the womb so our initial human experience is, I have need and I'm trying to right. fill it. Right. Oh, yeah. Then right. So That's, by the time we is, meet God, right. by the time we meet God, <laughs> we've already got idols, right? You already have them. We're, and, we're carrying idols already. And, yeah. Right, and when you come to the knowledge
like you're justified, right? We're using our we're using some of our theological terms, right? You're justified, like your your yes, your eternity is secure with with God, but you're still in that process of sanctification, yep. right. and you're responsible for working in that. Yep. God doesn't yeah. just come in and clean that all out, like Romans twelve one says, yeah, right? We like have one to of the be, yeah, we have to transform our minds. Right. Mm-hmm. We have to work on that. Yep. That's yeah. work we have to do. And it's And work, and it's work we're privileged to do yeah. by the Spirit of God. Yeah. That's why I, I, I said it last week as well. When we come to know Jesus, I think in the Christian church we have this ideology that says Jesus and his rescue covers all of our woundedness and covers all of our addiction and covers all that. But it's not that it covers it. We shouldn't think that way. It, it empowers us to invade it. <laughs> right. right. And so we have unfortunately produced this space within the church that says once you come to know Jesus, you ought to be free of all these things. Yeah. You ought to not feel these ways anymore. Right. You ought to not be uh, going back to pornography. Right. You ought to not be wanting to drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. You ought to. And, 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 and it's this insanity because what Jesus is really saying is I've now finally empowered you with biblical community Mm -hmm. to go and invade these spaces and that's a work that's a journey and then here's what we do in community instead of being a safe place to come to be to become a therapeutic community with the gospel Mm -hmm. we become the place that shames you for not believing Mm -hmm. rightly or thinking rightly and so we are the worst place to come to right and and that's what has to change if we're going to be a place of freedom and so when deb says Man, if you struggle with addiction or you struggle with habitual things that are detrimental and you w- want help, you need to reach out. You, right. need to, you need to ask because then we begin the journey of saying, we will work with what we have internally. Mm-hmm. We will also refer you to the things mm-hmm. we know in our community are external. Right. Mm-hmm. We will continue to work with you in those external, mm-hmm. but we know where the therapeutic communities exist and we know who's doing mm-hmm. it well and we're going to get you into those things. Exactly. Right. I think, oh, go ahead, Deb. I was just going to say, you know, um, James 5 says <coughs> to confess your sin one yep. to another and that's yeah. what brings us healing. Mm-hmm. And so the very first step is just telling somebody. Right. And it doesn't have to be a counselor. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a pastor. You know, it can be a friend, a buddy, it can be anybody. But just that simple act of telling somebody else what your struggle is, yeah. is often just shedding that light on that sin oh, that's it. is going to bring you that first degree of freedom. Right. So that's the your dar- very first darkness step. And- all of yep. that hiddenness is mm-hmm. exactly where these addictions stay strong mm-hmm. and they grow. Yep. Mm-hmm. But you shed light on it, and that is that first and, step. And, and this, this, uh, this is kind of just talking about first steps. This is kind of a big one. I, I just thought about this, and I'm like, should I even say it? But I'm going to because that's what I do. Um, you know, a lot of times addictions, and this kind of taps us out from the obvious addictions like alcohol or sub, uh, substance abuse of any kind or whatever, there are a lot of addictions in our lives that we don't think are addictions, right? Work, sure. uh, rescuing people, phone addictions, etc., mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in a minute. And those, because we don't see them as addictions, we don't recognize that they are detrimental. We just are doing them, yeah. and we don't recognize. So some of us out there have recognized we're workaholics, or man, we're on this at mm-hmm. home when our kids need us or our, oh, yeah. or our spouse needs us, and they've been saying it. I mean, Apple is recognizing people are addicted to their own devices. That's why they're giving you reports on screen. Yeah, and don't yeah. get me started yeah. on yeah. that, True. because Apple's both recognizing that. Oh, and, and the things that any oh, no, no, single no, totally. teenager can get around. Oh, 100%. I, anyway, yeah. no, I'm not going there. I'm not doing it. Different okay, conversation. Different conversation yeah. for different reasons. But here, here's, what I wanna, here's what I do want to say, is if you're not sure whether you're addicted to something. Let, let's say you're listening to this, and you're like, I, I don't think I'm addicted to work. Here's what I dare you to do as a first step. Before you confess, because you don't even know you're supposed to confess because you don't know you're addicted yet, go to the people that love you. 
and mm-hmm. say, hey, question for you. They've defined addiction mm-hmm. as doing something that's detrimental to either my well-being or the well-being of those people I love and keep doing it. Is what I'm doing at work, the amount I work, or the amount I'm on this thing in the evenings, or on vacation I check my stuff, or pick anything and say, is that detrimental to you, our family, our well-being? I dare you to ask the question. And maybe just ask it very broadly. Like, yeah. is there anything that I do? That I do. And just be... Yeah. And, wow. and I, I'm really asking because if this is in fact something that's causing detriment to us and I don't realize it or I realize it but I'm not willing to admit it, I want to. And if your loved ones say, well, actually, you are on that device all the time or you never stop working or you then receive that as a gift and go, thanks for letting me know that. Mm-hmm. And then, here it is, confess that. Go to, go to a good friend maybe that knows Jesus and say, I just asked the question to my family and they said, actually, yes. Yeah. Where do I go from here? Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, we want to be free of these things so that we can engage in making the gospel beautiful in every relationship with every resource and in every circumstance. And so that brings me to this that I'd love to kind of get feedback from both of you on is this. There are addictions that are obviously damaging and obviously addictions. Mm-hmm. And we've spoken about those, usually chemically related, substance abuse, etc. But there's also a lot of things that we're addicted to, but I don't necessarily need AA for, right? Yeah. So for example, this is a great example. If I habitually go back to this, now I've got a neurobiological event that draws me back, I've got dopamine hitting every time I get it, so now I have an addiction. It's a habit that I'm on this when I'm supposed to be with my family, that when I'm supposed to be doing other things, I'm lazy because of it, all those different things, right? And that's a teenage world as well, and an adult Mm -hmm. world. In our community, Deb, uh, or in a family setting, like, or personally, and I'd love to hear your story, where do I begin to say, okay, I'd like to get over that. It's not a, I'm not an alcoholic, but I am addicted to something that's more general to the population. Where do I go in our community for that? Like, do I call you and go, I think I'm addicted <laughs> to my phone. Can you recommend an AA group? You know, you know right, or do right, I right. say, no, what does accountability for that look like? Yeah. Or what personal steps can I take to, to, to help with some of those things? Or I'm a work, workaholic. What, who do I? Well, I think it's important for all of us as uh, humans if not Christ followers, to have people that we're accountable to anyway. So, right, whether you're, I mean, we look at alcoholics who go to AA or, you know, people who are addicted to drugs go to NA, whatever. But it's like, um, I think we need community. That's why we at Mosaic, we have missional community groups. We really highly encourage people to get involved in those so that when something like this does come up, those are the people that you're going to go to first, right? right. Yep. You obviously don't need to go to a detox. Yep. You don't need referrals to programs, right? Although, as a culture, we're getting there. Uh, we might. People are doing we it. We might. But I mean, worlds for phones now. Yeah. Right. Well, but we can. And I, but but to, I your think point, to your point, in yeah. the context where, and we don't need yeah. detox for certain no, things. No, I think that... We just need habit change. You need... Well, right. And so you, I think understanding, first of all, how, to, how do you change a habit? Right? So a lot of us don't even know, how oh, how do I change a habit? Right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the way that you have to you change a behavior is first you have to change your thought. Right. Every um, single thing is. starts with a thought. Every Boom. behavior, every feeling. And so you have to go back to that thought, to that root, and you have to think about what are the thoughts that I'm having as I'm taking off that phone? Right? Is it, I wonder how many people liked my picture? 
Mm. Um, is it, oh, I wonder, you know, how many people like my political post, which is what I used to, you know, do. So I think you have to kind of ask yourself, you have to think about your thoughts, which most of us never do. They just run rampant in there. Um, and the more that they run rampant, the more likely they are to, to result in a behavior. Right. Okay, so here's an example. Last night I'm laying in bed. I would already brush my teeth. I'm laying in bed, and I'm really trying to do this intermittent fasting thing, right? And I, um, so I only want to eat between noon and 8, okay? It's just for personal health reasons, whatever, not anything. I'm not trying to get over an addiction. However, um, I'm laying there, and all of a sudden I was thinking about, oh, there's that watermelon in the refrigerator. Okay, watermelon is not an it Well, I... I, I, I think I might be addicted to watermelon, actually. <laughs> um, lately, I don't know what's happening. It's um, summertime. But, I, but the more that I thought of, like, I kept thinking about the watermelon. The more I thought about it, eventually I got up and I went, I stood in the kitchen, and I ate the rest of the watermelon. Now, I mean, it's, that's not a really big deal. But the, thought, the thing was, what I should have done is I need to take that thought captive and then what I teach people to do is not just replace it with a positive thought, I replace it with scripture, scripture yeah. right? So what I really should have done in that moment, in your life. yeah, more like exactly, God's word. You need so God's you word, and God's word yeah. is positive. Double right. whammy right yes. there. Yeah. And so I, what I should have done is just, you know, you know, done a thought about scripture or like done something else. And like I said, eating a bunch of watermelon is not super harmful, yeah. but right, but here I had set my mind to do something that was going to be beneficial for me in a health way, and then, you know, the minute I think about watermelon, I'm willing to give that up, so, right? So the scripture you would go to in that instance, obviously yeah. you're not going to go to <laughs> right. like uh, Numbers chapter 4 where it no. talks about watermelon yeah. and like overcoming your yeah. So you might think of something about self-control. Exactly, might, so, a self-control scripture. Um, or, you know, even, um, oh, I don't know. I, I have a bunch of scriptures written down, actually, that I do use as positive affirmations. My, bottle, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. or, or, you know, just whatever. Isn't there a scripture about, like, when you make a vow, yeah. you're going to, you know, yeah, you're going to stick to it or let, let your, your yes be yes, yes, your no be no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's yeah. a lot of That's different great. things depending yeah. on. But a lot of times we can, we can look at um, other thoughts um, that kind of tend to run rampant, especially when you're going to sleep at night, that's a time when your thoughts can really run away with you, right? And it might not be thoughts about food, necessarily. It might be thoughts about people. Mm. You might rehash well, every conversation day. you had. Yep. You might rehash, um, oh, should I have said this thing, or was it the wrong thing to say, or, or whatever. Um, so I think when you recognize what your, what your struggles are, then you, you can go on Google, and you can, oh, versus about anxiety, versus about fear, versus about... Um, self-worth or acceptance or who I am before God, yep. um, those are the kind of things that, that you need to do. So when it comes to, when we're talking about addictive behavior, so, I mean, one of the things that, you know, the biggest things right now is porn addiction, right? Mm -hmm. And we all know, I mean, especially as believers, right, we know that looking at porn is wrong across the board. Yeah. Um, in I mean, the world... There's no version in which that's re redeemable. There's right. no, right. There's certain things like... There's no redeemable version of this. Pornography right. falls in that category. Exactly. But in the, the problem is, though, um, out in the world, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. No, it's, no. It's the, the culture today it can says be acceptable. utilize pornography to enhance your relationship. Yeah, it's right. actually considered helpful yeah. in our right. culture. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so... Um, but we that, know, you know it objectifies people. We do. Right. We know that it takes sexuality out of the context of marriage and right. places it in a different 
it, the, right. the damages that are caused. And we know that are, what it does to the brain and the yeah. chemicals right. in the body right. is an exponential move mm -hmm. right. uh, from even other little habits right. that can happen. So for a porn addiction, there's a there's a whole bunch of verses, right? You yeah. can go to oh, about yeah. lusting, about yeah, totally. you know the eye, the you know the, the lust of the eyes, the and blah 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 right. blah. So that's an easy one. Um, so if if that's what you struggle with, it's an easy you know, one to find verses for. Uh, right. Right. Not an so, easy one to necessarily overcome. overcome. It's a tough and one. Yeah. this is important though, yeah. because when we're dealing with addiction, we have to realize that. Uh, Combating addiction is a multifaceted event. That's right. Yeah. So what we tend to do is we throw little silver bullets at it. Yeah. Are you addicted to porn? Don't tell anyone because right. that would be that would be shameful. Just memorize a bunch of verses. Right. Think on them. Right. And you'll be fine. <laughs> right. Like, no, you're going to be defeated. It'll never work. Right. Or get into a community of people where you talk about your porn right. addiction, but you don't do anything about it. Nope, that's not going to do it either. Right. That's kind of a, so. What you it's have really to do good. is you have to hit yeah. it from multiple Every fronts angle. and make yep. multiple decisions yep. in community. Yeah. So again, we're going to harp on this a lot. Isolation yep. perpetuates addiction. Yep. Always. Sure. Talk a little so, about, uh, about at, while we're on the subject of like, how do we overcome an, an addiction? So you talked about the importance of multifaceted, right? And I think one of the places that we go to, just in specific, as the cure-all, especially for sexual addiction, especially for pornography, is accountability, mm -hmm. which is yeah. one important piece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But talk a little bit about um, your intimacies mm -hmm. and addictions, yeah. and then let's let's talk about how does that play in as one of the facets. Yeah, as well. I think that's a that's a that's a, a great mm -hmm. point, and I, I think th there are probably, in my estimation, um, a couple of primary things to consider in engaging in addiction um, uh, recovery and, yeah. and and healing from addiction. Yeah, there is the reality of our um, communal journey. And that communal journey has to be twofold. One, accountability. So that is just confessing, like Deb said, mm -hmm. telling someone, yeah. telling the right kind of person that can get you the right kind of help mm -hmm. in more community, getting into therapeutic recovery groups. All these things are like, I'm going to place myself in spaces where people are speaking in with know-how right. that can help me and hold me accountable in helpful ways. Yeah. Okay. Then second of all, the, the secondary communal journey is the journey of intimacy. Uh, the more an addiction gets a hold of my life and I find my needs met in that addiction temporarily, but it affects negative realities elsewhere, it breaks down intimacy with people. Totally. So now there's hurts and pains. I've hurt others. Uh, the, the relationships have broken down. And when I don't really have an intimate relationship with my spouse, then quite honestly, looking at pornography or getting into an affair is much easier. Like I've, I've sure. always said, you can hold me accountable all day long. I just have to lie. <laughs> That's the, the beauty totally. about accountability is I have an immediate out. Mm -hmm. I just lie. Yeah. And then you think you're holding me accountable. And I'm just lying. Right. Mm -hmm. Why would I lie? I would lie because I have abandoned the notion that these people I care about matter more than my addiction, which right. is back to the definition. It, yeah, like what Tracy right? was saying earlier That's with addiction. Right. If you don't actually care about the people that you're hurting, right. well, then what does it matter? Addiction has free reign in your life. Totally. And ideally, you have intimate relationships yes. in your life who those people will catch you before you get to the point That's of needing right. accountability. They're going to start noticing. They're going to say, hey, I've noticed yeah. your Notice the pattern change. Notice and some... catch it before yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll use good. a very personal example of this. Um, you know, in, in our home, uh, we have a lot going on, lots of teenagers. 
we have an adoption reality, so there's lots of other dynamics that come with that, that are, that are hard now home. And so now, over the last seven years, uh, Brooke kind of takes that on as it comes, and so she deals emotionally with it in the moment. I escape from it through my optimism. I'm like, ooh, it'll be fine in ten years. <laughs> and now, after seven years, uh, my mm. optimistic suit has some tears in it. Right. And so it keeps getting contaminated, and I choke on that contamination of the real world, and I can't seem to escape nearly as easily. Mm. So I'm a little more angry than I've been in a long time in my home. Like, I snap more easily. Uh, I'm more irritable. Uh, I'm, more, I'm less tolerant of Brooke, of the kids, of, of stuff. So Brooke last night says to me, I'm, I'm a little worried about you. Like, you just seem less, like, stable. Mm. A little more quick to anger. A little more quick. Now, at first, I'm sitting on the couch going, stupid. <laughs> like, I'm five. Like, I'm getting angry. You're getting right. mad. You're about, about what she's You're proving her point. No, I'm not dead. Her, her point. Yeah. And as, she, as she's talking, to, to, to your point, we have, a, we have an intimate enough relationship and a free enough relationship and we love each other enough that though like we can get ticked off at each other and sometimes go through weeks or months we don't like each other very much mm-hmm. we love each other there's intimacy there to your point and so we see these smallest nuances of change in our patterns right. and we can speak into those before they become damaging I become cynical I start forgetting the gospel I don't care anymore or whatever let the stupid family just go through its stupid stuff all those things that are momentary right now become more general and patterned. And then I'm going to go escape. I'm going to escape through working more uh, because I, I, I jokingly, but not so jokingly, say my days off on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday when I'm at work. Mm. Friday, Saturday, Sunday are not my days off. They're my days home, right? And then mm-hmm. you're like, why? Because that's the hard life right mm-hmm. now. And, and as those little thinkings start becoming not joking but real, I can start, uh, you know, maybe I'll just work Friday some more, maybe Saturday some more, and just less time. These things, if we have intimate relationships with people, they are caught early. But simultaneously on the back end, when we are in an addiction and we have to work our way out of the addiction, if we have no intimate relationships, we really just don't care what it does to people. It's a lot harder to work out of an addiction mm-hmm. because that intimacy we have is what actually drives us to say, I'm damaging myself and I'm damaging my relationship with Jesus. I'm damaging my, my friends or my spouse or my kids. I don't want to damage them. I want to work at this addiction. What if I don't have any intimate relationships I care about? So communally, you have to have accountability. You have to have intimacy. Mm-hmm. Then personally, you have to make decisions. You said it earlier. Decided to do when you discovered some of the things you were dealing with. You have to actually be willing to say, like, if you're addicted to pornography in a regularity that's a daily or weekly thing, when we jump into those worlds, we often say, for a while, the computer has passwords on it that only such and such Mm -hmm. has, and you don't get to act. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what? You're restricting my freedoms? Mm -hmm. You're like, no, we're saving you from your addictions. There there are personal decisions we have to be willing to make to say, I'm going to stop these things that are Mm -hmm. places where I can go and access my addiction. An alcoholic doesn't get to be allowed to go to a place where there's alcohol anymore for a period or long period Mm -hmm. of time. We have to make personal decisions. And then I think in community of accountability and intimacy and the personal decisions, we have to constantly remember that at the end of the day, our intimacy with God, memorizing scripture, Mm -hmm. changing thought patterns, trust in the Holy Spirit, we have to develop that. We have to we have, to, we have to count on that. And that's also, oddly enough, a communal reality. 
Jesus exists in his body on this planet, and his body is who? The church. So we have to be in community. And if we look at it from all those fronts, and we have the space for journey, I think addictions have the, have, we have the opportunity to overcome addictions in the freedom of that kind of community. So we have a couple great questions that I want to get to, and then I think I want to wrap up with Tracy's story with media addiction because, because I think she it's made a really, personal decisions. Yes, yeah, right. because she's made decisions. some some yeah. personal decisions in her life that have uh, helped curb and and keep her from media addiction, which is really cool. So I think I want to end with that, and that'll kind of give us a way to say, okay, if we're going to we'll really be, these, problems. if yeah. we're going to be serious about this, if we're going to get over things. What personal decisions are we going to make yep. to do this? We got a couple good questions here. So the first one is, um, this is from Yara, and thank you for your con- uh, uh, question. Some people don't want to acknowledge that they have an addiction to X, Y, Z. How does one approach the person in that way when they feel a- attacked? They don't, um, they don't feel open to having that conversation. So for an example, how do we approach a loved one who's also a believer who's addicted to cigarettes but gets extremely defensive any time anyone touches the subject? So um, I'd love to hear uh, your, your thoughts on that. How, how do you approach a believer who, who really doesn't want to yeah. have uh, the conversation? And I would say this, and then Deb, maybe you can speak to this in more detail because you've got a lot of experience with people that have come to you to say, my loved one is an alcoholic or doesn't think that they are or whatever. I, I, I would say when we have a good definition of addiction, like we, like we do, mm-hmm. when something is detrimental but you still do it, it's an addiction. There may be a space, in my estimation, that you would approach someone like that and say, hey, uh, can we have a conversation? Listen, we've looked at this thing now. Your cigarettes, for example. We know that they are detrimental to your health. We know that they are detrimental to the health of those around you. Mm -hmm. And we know they matter to you, and you keep doing it. The definition of addiction is when something is, and you bring that to the table and Mm -hmm. say, so... I know you're going to get mad when I first say this, but I just want you to go think about it. Like, in other words, don't try to, I'm, I want to get you to acknowledge right. it now. You lay things on the table that kind of go, this is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Go think about it. And expect them to get a bit mad, but maybe while they're sleeping at night in their bed, if you can put things together in the definitions and they can process it. That's it. one possibility. Deb. Well, the bottom line is you you can never make anybody change. Right. It has to come it has to come from them, right? I mean, otherwise, you know, we would live in a perfect world, right? Because we would make everybody <laughs> behave the way that we want them to. Um, we so live that, in Deb's perfect world. Yeah, well, that's true, right? It would be my world. perfect world, right? <laughs> make it um, but I think, uh, you know, obviously that person has to desire to change. Um, and uh, I think nagging somebody is not, it, it, you know, you say something one time, you have your say, um, and then it's there. And then that person is responsible because they've heard what you've said and uh, they're now responsible for it and they can choose to to move forward in that or not. So, um, uh, you know, I, I constantly harping on somebody, that's not going to make anybody change. In fact, it might even just make them dig their heels in um, deeper, you know, especially if they're a person that doesn't like to be told what to do. Um, and so I just think, you know, just yeah, have your say, like you said, and and come at it and don't be, you know, no shame, no guilt. Uh, I think with cigarette smoking um, specifically, it's very easy to see that as something that you're only hurting yourself, 
right? Because now, of course, you can't smoke in public places. You can't smoke. Most people will go outside to smoke. And so it's like, you know, even the secondhand smoke thing isn't that isn't big of a deal. Yeah. Like, so people say, well, this isn't hurting you. It's only hurting me. So if I want to damage my own body, why shouldn't I be able to? And, and like, well, you know, we care about you and we don't want you to get diseases and die an early death, right? Um, but ultimately, it's up to that person. Yeah. And, and really, you know, it's with anything. Um, overeating yeah. and eating the wrong food can have just as many detrimental yeah. things to my body um, as smoking. So say it one time, have your say, and then it's on that person. And, I think and when you pray, say, pray, yeah. pray, 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 yeah, and pray. And you can pray for them, and when, sure. And when Obviously. you say it, I think the key is don't present your opinion. So this is what happens a lot in that conversation. I think you're addicted to cigarettes. Yeah. You smoke them all the time. And you, well, I'm not addicted to cigarettes. Leave me alone. Versus, hey, this is the definition right. of addiction. Mm -hmm. I saw this thing on a Facebook Live, mm -hmm. and it got me thinking. I just want you to consider right. this for yourself. Here's the deal. You go think about it. Mm -hmm. If you don't, that's fine. Kind of coming in with much more of a... I'm, I'm seeing things. I'd like to present them to you for your consideration. Yeah, like I think the more humble you are yep. in it, the better, rather than being sure. the know-what-all. I mean, that was last night with Brooke. It's a different thing, but she right. didn't come to me and say, you're angrier than ever. What's right. your problem? She just said, hey, I've noticed some things right. you may want to consider. And, and that left me the space to be able to go, yeah. I, and I, clearly I, you are thinking about it. And I am. Right. No, I, I, I am. Yeah. Sec, sec, second question, and then I want to get to Tracy's story. So... Um, Lulu asks, can Christians be addicted to church or reading? If addiction is anything detrimental to the people around you, story. going back to Sunday's message, remember your example, Renaud, about attending church habitually every Sunday and dealing with your family slash loved ones who voices that you're destroying family time, is it sensible for them to classify that as an addiction? So uh, you want to answer that? Uh, I, I, will, I will answer that. Yeah. Um, so theoretically, you could be addicted to, to anything, uh, in terms of uh, its motive and uh, its detriment to others. So, so, so theoretically, I'll just say, you could be addicted to reading. Mm -hmm. And if you just read, read, sure. read, 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 and your whole life around you falls apart because you can't put those books down, mm -hmm. then that would be an addiction. Mm -hmm. And if you come to church because you have this sense of needing to be spiritual and demonstrate to others, and so there's motives that could do that. However, in your question, what I think you're asking is, so I have a family that's not believers and I go to church in regularity and they're saying I'm addicted to church because it's a detriment to them. So they are, there's the other side of addiction where people can use your good habits that they don't like right. and they use the word addiction and say because it's a detriment, it's a detriment to, to them. So what you need to then do is twofold. One, the Bible actually says, do not neglect gathering right. together in regularity as some are in the habit of doing because you need to stir each other up and spur mm -hmm. each other on toward love and good deeds. So mm -hmm. by abandoning church because you think you're addicted to church, I would say if you're at church six nights a week right. and your family's saying, totally, hey. Yeah. That's and that's right. a real thing. That's a real there thing. There are people yeah. who, that is a real thing. Who, who totally dive into everything that's church. And at the detriment of their yeah. family. That so is a real When your family says to you, you are a detriment to our family. You are at church six nights a week, right. five mornings a week. Every time someone calls with any request of you, you say yes without consideration. Mm -hmm. They always come first. Your kids are saying to you, you're never home. Pastors, I hope you're listening. Right. Mm -hmm. Then, yes, you are addicted yeah. 
to not church necessarily, yeah. but some yeah. version of spirituality. Mm -hmm. Now, you attend on Sundays, and your family wants you home on Sundays for boating, and they're not believers. Here's what I would say. Find ways to meet the need that they feel is not being met in other ways. So, for, for example, saying to them, you know what? I'm going to go to the nine. I'm going to get it done. I'll be home by 1130, and we'll have the whole afternoon. I don't want to do the afternoon. I want to do the morning. Now I think our problem might be an un, uh, unwillingness to be flexible to the things that we need mm -hmm. for each other. And then you say things like, me being a church where I am reminded of how I'm supposed to love people is of great benefit to, to this you. family. Yeah, exactly. And to you. <clears throat> because sometimes I don't really want to love you. But when I go to church and I come home, I'm like, I love my husband. So would you like me? to slot that off the equation. Now, don't say it the way I'm saying it right now because that's a little... But, you, but, but the point is, it's not an addiction if you are in balance, regularly part of biblical community and your family just doesn't like it and they're calling it an addiction. Totally. Right. All right. We've only got a few more minutes left. And at the end of the day, if we just sit around and like chat about addictions and have a nice little Facebook Live conversation yep. and we don't do anything about it, it's kind of like what James says. You know, if you're a man that looks at his face in the mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like you don't you don't you're just yep. a you're a hearer of the mm -hmm. truth but you're not a doer of it yep. and we want to do something about the things that we recognize and so you know uh early on in the smartphone mania as everyone was getting iPhones and all of those things i remember tracy being uh, very uh, unsure that she wanted to step into that world, yeah. and so so tell against that story a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very against it. And so tell tell us yeah. about that story so and your progression in general. I held on to my dumb phone as long <coughs> as I possibly could, which was probably up to about three or four years ago. And when it finally died, my husband said, "Tracy, it's time <laughs> to, <laughs> to come in to the world with everybody else and get a smartphone." So he got me a smartphone. The reason I didn't want to have one is I had, well, I saw people around me already addicted to it. And I had an awareness that if I have this in my pocket all the time, accessibility to the whole world, this is going to be a distraction to my life. And I don't want that. I don't want people to think I can check my email 24 hours a day, <laughs> that they can contact me 24 Someone's hours a day you, you like my husband is right now <laughs> yeah he's calling me that's a that's good funny. illustration that's um, awesome i'll let him know so i i really didn't want it um of course i ended up with it and it did create problems for me um pretty quickly um and then i was listening to a podcast uh from a pastor called john mark comer and it was on hurry and he was talking Which about Which you shared hurry. with me, so good. It is so good, highly recommend it. And basically about hurry being the enemy of us as we should be following Christ and how he was not in a hurry mm. and what his ministry looked like because of that. And so one of the things John Mark Homer talked about was our phones. And um, he said, yeah, you can actually turn your smartphone into a dumb phone. It's real easy, there's tutorials online. And I went, what? <laughs> Turned off the podcast, went online, and immediately changed my smartphone to a dumb phone. So um, it's pretty easy to do. So first thing is my phone is in black and white. And people wow. ask me all the time, I get the question, oh, I didn't know Apple made an iPhone in black and white. <laughs> 
And I tell them, no, I've changed it to black and white. And the reason mm -hmm. I have it black and white, because who wants to look at that? Like, it's not fun looking at stuff mm -hmm. in black and white. Um, it's also utilitarian. So I took off anything that wasn't something I needed to get work done. So, so like YouTube app is off there. Yeah, like I don't have that. I don't, um, I put parental controls on to take Safari off. So you can't just take, remove it, but you can put parental controls on. Now I know the password, but to get to it is a huge hassle. Yeah, who's gonna sit at a traffic right. light, go into yeah. settings, yes. go into the password, right. type in the password, right. re-put yeah. the app on, yeah. open it in black and white. And then it's gonna be green. <laughs> Nobody, you're like, no. oh shoot, I'm yeah. going through the light. Right. Not, so worth it. Not, worth exactly, it. not worth it. So that's why. So because sometimes you really do, I do need to get into Safari. So I sure. can do it if I have to, but it, like you said, it's a hassle and I'm not gonna do it. You're just, just putting hurdles, hurdles before yeah. yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so yeah, so there's Very just, helpful. there's nothing fun on here, <laughs> basically. Um, and I use it for the work that I really think it's meant for is for us to do, to work and get things done. Um, I do communicate in here and I think part of it is knowing yourself. So I have ways to communicate with people but I have friends who are in Italy and in Cambodia and that's the way I have to communicate. Like through WhatsApp or whatever. Through WhatsApp but I'm not constantly looking to see, you know, yeah. somebody contacted me or, you know, things like that. So it's kind of self-awareness too of knowing what you can handle and what you can't. And, you know, to, really to this, and I'm just going to say this, I, I know our time is, is coming close to an end, yeah. but um, I, I will tell you that the more we are looking into the incredible damage that uh, permanent access to the world is doing to us, so let's not even call it a smartphone. Mm -hmm. It's the computers, it's the phones, yeah. it's, it's the everything around us. It's the billboards changing to digital billboards. Mm -hmm. It's like we have access to everyone all the time with, with, with unrelenting reality. And the damage that is doing to us as a, a, not only as a culture, but as a globe, as a humanity, the things it's doing to our brains mm -hmm. that like, this isn't like scary TV of the seventies, like the TV's gonna suck the life out. Like there's now some big things happening. And, and here's what I wanna speak to, your, your, your uh, uh, children. Okay, so that's teenagers and down. Like, just let me just say this, you are a parent Okay, uh, and, and a parent actually makes decisions for their children to protect their children from things the children aren't ready to make decisions about, which includes all the way through the end of the teenage years, right? Mm -hmm. And we have abandoned the idea that we get to decide how yeah. these are used by our children. Right. And the world is telling us, like they tell us about pornography, it's good for your marriage okay, because right. it sparks stuff up, which is not true. Right. They tell us, you don't get to control your kid's private world. So one of the things that I was fascinated by was that a lot of the awesome apps that allowed me to control, to turn my kids' phones into dumb phones for most of the day and then give them 30 minutes where it's not a dumb phone, right. those apps are no longer available in the App Store because Apple has said their screen time app is the one that's available now and that covers all that ground except that I know how to get around screen time by watching YouTube for three seconds because yeah. I know my kids do. Right. So my point to that is this. Part of the reason why they took all those apps off is because they said those apps allowed me to have control over somebody else's phone. Right. And I'm like, yep, right. that, that's what the app was doing. Right. The guy that allowed me for it yeah, to have exactly. control over somebody exactly. else's phone, right. my kid's phone. And Apple right. said, you can't, we don't allow that on App Store. 
And I'm like, oh, great. So the world's telling us, as a parent, my 16-year-old, I'm not supposed to have that kind of ability. So let me just say this as a parent. You have to have that kind of ability right. yeah. if you want to protect your children. So in my home, all of our phones that my kids have, one, if I ever take their phone, put in a little password or put my thumb on their little thing and it doesn't open immediately, guess what happens to their phone? Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. oh, Dad, I changed the passcode. I totally forgot. Didn't text me. Didn't text me. Bye-bye one week because I have to have total access. Then I control how often they get on. Their phones are dumb phones except for 30 minutes a day. And then my son, one of my boys, uh, despite a dumb phone, kept finding ways around it or YouTube was a place that started causing a lot of stuff. So, so guess where his phone is now? In my room. Right. It's no longer just a dumb phone. Mm -hmm. It's a, in Renault's hands phone. Mm -hmm. And you get the phone for 30 minutes on a particular time during the day to check your texts real quick while it remains a dumb phone and then you hand it back. And is, are my children mad at me half the time? Yep. Do they think I'm a control freak? Yep. Do that. But you know what? My children are not going to end up in recovery centers at 22 because of these things. So personally, make big decisions. As parents, be okay making big decisions for your kids. Don't let these things drive addictions that then become workaholism and then become other things oh, that are detriment yeah. to re detrimental to relationships, to friendships, to the well-being of schooling and everything else. Mm -hmm. Well, that is a great place for us to wrap it up. Um, thank you, uh, as always, Renault. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Deb. Thank you, guys, so much. Lending your expertise and experience to this conversation. Um, black and, and white. Make your phone black and white. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, speaking of uh, being addicted, we don't want you to be addicted to lunch hour with Renault. So we are going to be taking. No, no, we do because it's only once a week. <laughs> Can't be that detrimental. That's right. <laughs> Just kidding. We're going to be taking a break over the summer because it is good to slow down. It is good to stop some of the hurry. It is good to take a deep breath. Um, if you have any ideas for episodes that you would love to hear from us, I uh, want to invite you to email us at lunchhour at thisismosaic.org. Um, and we would love to take your input and ideas and uh, implement any that we can. Uh, we'll be back uh, toward the end of the summer, the beginning of the fall. Like, is this the um, last one? This is the last one until the summer. Oh, and so, miss you guys. Yeah, so we'll miss hanging out with you guys, especially those of you who regularly check in uh, with us. And thank you for your interaction. It's been a really, really great time. And so uh, we will see you guys before you know it. Love it. We'll see you in the fall. Great to be with you. Yeah. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, guys. Bye. This Thanks. Been really it was fun. Good.